Great to be here tonight. We're looking at a great passage of Scripture. We're looking at Luke chapter 16 tonight, verses 19 and following. Luke chapter 16. Our prayer time on Wednesday is vitally important. You know, uh, it, it traces back to the early church. They met in the middle of the week and they prayed. We don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday, but we do know it was the middle of the week. Tradition, we do it Wednesday. Some believe it was Thursday because that's when they, you know, they had the Passover lamb killed and that would remind them of the crucifixion. I don't know, but we don't know the date, but we, we presume it was Wednesday. And so that's a great thing to do, to meet in the middle of the week and pray. And we will pray to pray to God in Jesus' name. And we agree together. When somebody's leading, we're agreeing with him. And the Bible said, where two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst and I'll hear their prayer. Tonight is our teaching hour. We're looking at Luke chapter 16, the 11th pre in parable. And I say that with, uh, I put a question mark there. Because this has been a challenge for me over the years. Uh, this, as some describe it, half describe it as a parable. And I've always preached it as possibly a parable. But I've always believed it's tr a true story. And the reason I have believed that is because Lazarus is named. In fact, we have 400 Greek manuscripts. So <laughs> that shouldn't surprise you. But in one of those manuscripts, we're actually given the name of the rich man. And I'll give that to you later tonight. But we don't know that that is his name because it's only in one manuscript out of 400. And that's all for those scholars to fight about. And um, I'm just thankful. We have this wonderful story in the Word of God. And if it is a parable, it still illustrates truth. So don't ever think of a parable as less than truth, okay? Jesus told them to illustrate truth. The word parable actually means to throw by the side of. So when Jesus wanted to teach a lesson, he'd throw a story by the side of it. Sunday, you know what we did? We, we, it wasn't a parable, we told a true story. But Sunday's entire morning message was a, a story of Esther. And so stories are very, very helpful in teaching us principles. And so tonight we look at this story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the main truth here is stewardship. Stewardship. This rich man could have easily given to Lazarus, but he didn't make eternal investments. And it might surprise you to know that even sinners are accountable for their money. Isn't that crazy? In other words, I know they're going to hell because they're not saved and it's sad. But that's one of the many sins they have to give an account for. They don't just go to hell because they reject Christ. They go to hell because of their what? Sin. And is it sinful to have money and to not take care of a needy person that you could have easily helped? Of course it is. So this is, is, is a great, great story. And here Jesus deals with luxury and need. And the rich man could have helped Lazarus, but... He didn't know God. He didn't obey God's word and didn't help Lazarus, who was very poor. And so this, there's several great truths here. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this world. Help us to learn something tonight that's helpful for us and that we can apply. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have down here seven things that we learn, seven truths from this story. First of all, and you have the notes, right? So why do I need to even stand up here and talk about it? Well, I like to elaborate on it. I like to give you notes so you can take it home and study it. But obviously you have them here. First of all, there's consciousness after death. 
Now, there's different teachings about what happens. There's reincarnation. There's annihilation. Annihilation is the teaching that you die, it's over, you're annihilated, there's no consciousness. Reincarnation, you know, you come back as something else. And I just can't imagine the people of India think they're going to come back as rats. They think rats are reincarnated Indian, Indians. Is that crazy? And they think cows are holy. And I say, holy cow. They don't, they don't kill the rats and the rats eat all their grains, so they're starving. And I say rats. You know, it's so, so ridiculous. But that's how deceptive Satan is. But we know Scripture teaches there's consciousness after death. Notice, second, there's a place of torment. Did you know Jesus talks about hell more than he does heaven? Jesus talks about hell more than he does heaven. And this is a passage about hell. Then there's a place of blessedness. We have here the teaching of Abraham's bosom. Different ideas on that. <clears throat> Some believe that when Jesus died, he went to the middle of the earth and emptied Abraham's bosom, the good side out. And they believe the reason there were people there is because their sin wasn't yet paid for. And so they came out of there. And there's different teachings. You don't have to agree. There's a lot of different ideas on this. Two or three we can accept. The others are, are, are rubbish. But that's one of the views that scholars believe. And then the other side was hell. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, hell hath enlarged yourself. So probably the good side, when you took the saints out, God enlarged hell for more people. And a lot of people believe hell is in the center of the earth because the Bible talks about it being down and in. And we'll see here where heaven is talked about as being up. We'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, and I'm rambling, but there's no second chances after death. I can't hardly read one of these without elaborating. You know, I think the Left Behind series by LaHaye is really good, and I encourage young people to read it, but I don't agree with the main, one of the principles that he has in there. I mean, they're really good books, and the movies are really good, but I don't believe for people who have heard the gospel clearly in this age and understood it, there's a second chance. You say, well, Pastor... Um, there's a lot of Gentiles saved. I, I understand that, but I don't believe there are people who have lived in the Bible Belt and heard the gospel over and over. I believe there's people who haven't heard and haven't understood. And the 144,000 Jews that hear and finally it clicks in their mind that this is our Messiah and believe they become preachers and mass, there's a mass Gentile revival. But the reason I don't believe that is there's several truths. We'll look at it Sunday. The Bible says those who are left behind will have strong delusion and believe the lie. The Antichrist, the false Christ. And so that's one portion of scripture. Another portion of scripture I go to, woe unto you of Bethsaida and Chorazin because, and I'm paraphrasing, you had me there, you saw the miracles and you didn't accept me. And it would have been better for you to have been from Sodom and Gomorrah than to be, and I'm going to say the word Bible Belt, that's not what Jesus said, but that's basically what Jesus meant. You were in my village, in my town, saw the miracles, and you rejected me. And that's why I don't believe there's second chances, because he said, woe unto them. People who've heard the gospel and reject Christ, I don't believe they have a second chance in the tribulation period. I believe those that are saved are people who haven't heard. And again, I'm way off the subject, but it does pertain to this. And then, no second chances. And then there are ample warnings to everyone. Romans chapter 1, we could preach that right now, couldn't we? We all have three preachers in our life. We have creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We know creation speaks. 
The Bible said the things of God are clearly seen in the firmament. You just look out at night and you see the handiwork of God. You think about creation and you think about if we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up any further away, we'd freeze. How the perfect axis and rotation and revolution of the earth and all that, it's just all perfect for us, the atmosphere. And the fact that we have all the things we have, we can be sustained by what God provides for us. It's so much more complex than this building, and you wouldn't think this building fell together by an accidental explosion. And that the wire was in the sockets, and the switches were there, and the lights were there, and the pews. Of course that's stupid. Do you know how much more complex your body is in this building? How much more complex creation is, the universe, than this, this, than, 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 than this building? And, and we wouldn't believe that it happened by accident, but the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And again, I'm off, but clearly creation, and we're told the conscience. The Bible said the grace of God hath appeared to all men. John 1, 9 says that all men have a light. You see, they all had an opportunity. Before you reach the age of accountability, your conscience is saying there's a God. That's wrong. You know, and so we have a conscience. And also, in many cases, we have a Christian. We had somebody that we knew that went to church. We could ask. And so we, we are without excuse if we don't trust Jesus. I have and you have, but I'm saying those who don't. Six earthly decisions do determine destiny. Decisions you make are very important down here in regards to salvation, obviously. But other decisions you make also affect much of, of those you leave behind. I told someone the other day, I said, they're talking about their assets. And I said to him in a nice way, it was a nice conversation. I said, you know, you're really your only assets that you're going to leave behind. And, they, and they, they're looking at me puzzled and I said, are your children? What you pour into your children is much more important than what you pour into your bank accounts. That's your greatest asset, your kids and your grandkids. Find five, finally, I was going to say fifth, seventh, there's memory and recognition of others after death. Here, Lazarus, the, the rich man recognized Lazarus. And he said, Abraham, you know, please send Lazarus, send someone. Twice he asked, and Abraham said, no, they had the prophets. They wouldn't believe Lazarus. They wouldn't believe anyone to come back and tell them this story because they've, they've chosen to reject. Well, anyway, we know that he's teaching the importance of investment, and this rich man did not invest. And so he needs to also point out to the listening Pharisees, they won't understand all this, but he'll, he'll, he'll make them understand and cause their hearts to be convicted about the fact that they're covetousness. They're covetous. They're just, they covet, they covet, they covet. And they're, they're all, in it, all for money. And so we have here that why Jesus taught the story and then the lesson he's teaching. Well, we look at verse 23. Now, you know the story, but it says there was a certain rich man Rich describes him having so much to eat. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. And he just wanted the crumbs. I mean, he's so malnourished that he would have been happy just to clean up the stuff underneath the table. And dogs licked his sores. 
you know, he probably had just open sores that wouldn't heal because he didn't have any nutri nutrition. And the dogs, dogs actually licking it would help his sores because they, they, their saliva has a kind of a healing agent. That's why dogs lick their own wounds. And so the dogs are licking his sores. But several things I find interesting here that uh, he, he, it, it says, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Uh, let me back up. He was, the Bible says in verse 20, the last line, he was laid at the rich man's gate or laid at his gate. And, and the grammar really indicates in the original that somebody actually carried him and laid him down. He was too weak to walk. Just about bones. Somebody carried him and laid him outside the rich man's mansion. Obviously, the person who carried him was hoping that he would get some sort of help. Not from this selfish man. There were people all through Scripture we know that were carried and laid near the pool of Bethsaidae and people who were carried and dropped down through a roof. So we, we do find there are people in the New Testament who cared and tried to carry people to Jesus. And here in this case, they thought, well, let's lay him outside this gate. Maybe Lazarus asked to go there. But we know that, um, that, that he was carried here and laid down. And here's this rich man. And uh, we, we know that this, this place was beautiful. He's full of sores, so hungry. But notice when he died, the angels carry him away. And that's, we learn from that, that angels have something to do when we die of, of ushering us into the presence of God. Now, they didn't carry the body away. The body was left there, but they carried his inner man away, his soul, his spirit, to be with the Lord. And uh, he ends up in the presence of Abraham. And it says here that... Uh, Verse 23, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. The rich man, of course, died as well. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And he seeth Abraham afar off, and, and Lazarus with Abraham. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this what? Flame. The flames of hell, you know, to, to think that you'll have a body that can never die in hell and you're just being burnt all the time. One of the most painful things is to get burned, you know, to get burnt. I mean, we, what do we do with our stove? We, we keep the kids out of the kitchen when we're cooking and the grandkids, we say, don't, don't get near the stove. We spill a little boiling water. My brother-in-law, years ago, my brother, not my brother-in-law, my brother, Bob, Years ago, he worked at a um, grocery store. He was a stock guy, and he threw some stuff into an incinerator, and one of the cans exploded, and his face was just, you know, blisters everywhere. And they rushed him by ambulance into the hospital, and they just packed ice on him. And miraculously, God, you know, gave the doctors that wisdom, and, and they packed him, and, and the blisters all, he didn't have any scars. A uh, friend of mine, Brother Tony, was burnt in a fire, and he let, said he laid in the hospital, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried day after day when they would change the bandage, bandages on his legs. Hey, it's a terrible torment, but that's the reality of hell. Unfortunately, we have to believe in hell. 
Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to accept it? But it's in the Word of God, and we have to accept the good and the bad from God's Word. It disappoints me when I read about a Bible character doing something sinful and dumb. And I wish sometimes, oh, that's sad to me. But then on the other hand, isn't that great for us? To see the frail, that humanity, that human beings are frail, and that we are capable of doing some terrible stuff. The story of David, you know, you almost, man, he was the guy after God's own heart. And Joseph's brethren trying to kill him and sell him. And on and on and on we could talk about people in the Bible. And that you hate to read it, but you know, it's, it's, you, you love to read it as well. I don't know if I'm making any sense to you, but it breaks my heart to see one of them sin, but then it's also reassuring that when I make mistakes in life, that God still forgives me, and I'm still his child. You know, I don't, I don't plan on doing any of those bad things, but sin is sin in the eyes of God. If I'm driving impatiently, I'm sinning just as much as David having an affair. Now, there are worse consequences, and there's bigger scars for bigger sin. Jesus talked about someone having greater sin. There are some sins that are worse. The Bible describes some sins as being worse. But still, we we have to come off our high horses and realize what we really are. Just sinners. And every day, we battle, don't we? And if someone says, I really don't, then you're a dishonest person. you got a bigger problem than you thought. You are one of the Pharisees in the story who didn't realize their sin. I want you to always uh, remember about whoever is standing in this pulpit. Never to lift us up too high. You know how high you should lift me? I'll show you how high. Right down here with you. Maybe I'm a little high there. I'm tall, you know. This is where you. Sh- this is where I should be in your eyes. When I preach something that's a blessing, you see Christ. You don't want to see me. Don't ever think, isn't he spiritual? I'm just like you are. Just like you are. And I can struggle just like you can struggle. I can get discouraged. I can have my bad days. And I can have days I can't get up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But, you know, when you lift a pastor way up here and then he falls, he breaks in a lot of pieces. And you can't put him back together again. He's worse off than Humpty Dumpty. It's because we sometimes deify pastors. We do that with the Virgin Mary. We deify her. We don't, but some denominations do. We don't want to defy Mary. She was wonderful, wasn't she? But we also don't want to make her a mediator between God and man, which some churches do. So we have to be careful to recognize that Peter, who they say was the first pope, was a sinner. If you have a problem realizing that, I can show you some scriptures. But I am so far off the subject here that it's unbelievable. Well, here we want to note that when the rich man died, angels didn't carry him off. He just, angels carried Lazarus to the good place. How he got in hell, I don't know, but he ended up in hell. And it, it might have been angels, but 
he, he, the, the obvious teaching here is that when we die, God still cares to usher us into his presence. And there's no teaching that Peter is there at the gate waiting. <laughs> I think a lot of Peter because he was a wonderful person, but Peter's no different than any of us either, right? He's just a regular sinful guy that got saved and God used him. When I get to heaven, I, I look forward to seeing Peter and Paul. I always wanted to meet, uh, well, there's a lot of people I've wanted to meet throughout my life, godly men of, of my life. I would look forward to meeting like D.L. Moody and all these guys. But when I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus. <laughs> I hope he's waiting there. And I hope he says, well done. I, I fall far short and hope I finish well, but I want to see Jesus because he's the one who saved me. And after spending a few million years with Jesus, maybe I'll sit down and talk to Peter for a while. I'd like to spend some time with him. But it's all about Jesus. And the word hell, the word hell, we find in our New Testament, the word hell is found 23 times. And I'll explain, this is not in your notes. One time, it's, you know, 11 times, excuse me, it's the Greek word Hades. Eleven times, ten times, and then one time, one of those eleven, ten times just plain Hades, and one time it's the word Tartaros, and, and that is the deepest part of Hades. So there's obviously places in hell that are worse than other places, you know. And so there are obviously degrees, people believe, in hell that the worst places, those who rejected You'd think it's the Sodomites, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. It's those who rejected Jesus the most. And that you got to imagine those serious sins, they're, they're pretty, pretty bad as well. So you have the word hell, which is a Greek word, Hades, ten times and once this word Tartarus. And then it's twelve times it's the word Gehenna. And that, I believe the words are in your text, but let me talk about Gehenna, the object lesson, the Hinnom Valley is what that's a reference to. And the object lesson is fantastic because outside of the holy city, if you, if you go out, go into the east gate, go out the back of the holy city, they had this, this valley called Gehenna. And it's a place where they threw all the city's garbage. And it burned continually. The fire never went out. That's the object lesson of Gehenna. That's a type of hell. So that's a Greek word. Gehenna is used to reference that valley. You think about the object lesson there. Garbage that burns all the time. The fire never goes out. Isn't that a type of hell? Of course it is. Several things we know from Scripture besides our text is hell is a fact. I have those things there you can relate. Or hell is frightening and hell is final. Now look in verse 23, back to our text. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So he, he's looking up. So he's down below, and he's looking up to Abraham. And throughout Scripture, you will find that heaven is always referred to as up. The new Jerusalem comes down. And hell's always seen as down and in, and most people believe hell must be in the center of the earth. We don't know that for sure, but we do know the center of the earth is just burning fire all the time. So that's very possible. Um, and so he says, send Father Abraham and tell him just to dip his finger in the water. And, and just to give me just a, a drop of water. Can you imagine that? 
you've all been thirsty. When I was a kid, we didn't have bottled water. I still don't drink it. I'm too stubborn. <laughs> plastic, to me, all this plastic we got in our world, and I still drink from the hose. My grandfather drank from the hose for 90 years, and, you know, I can go on and on and on, and I don't see why we have to have this bottled water. Uh, the fluoride in the, in, the, in the tap water does help your teeth and bones a little bit. So I'm a, I'm a hose guy, right? I doubt I've drank, it's bad grammar, but I doubt I have had 10 or 12 bottles of water in my lifetime. And so I've been in circumstances where there wasn't a garden hose, okay? But anyway, uh, when you're thirsty and you get to that water hose, there's nothing like it. That water just shoots out of there and you're, it's, you're just putting it on your head and you're drinking it. To think about burning in these flames and not being able to have any break from it. Now, I have the wrong typo here, but Abraham said, and we're on the third page, I guess it's probably page 83, but Abraham said, son, and that should be um, 19, or excuse me, 1625. I got 199 wrong. It should be 1625. So change that where it says 199 to 1625. I apologize. I hate that when I do that. Once in a while I do that, so I'm sorry. But anyway, verse 25 is what we're looking at. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receives the good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Wow, is that powerful? Is that powerful? What, should, what, what does it benefit a guy if he gains the whole world? What should it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That rich man had maybe 70 or 80 years. Jesus said 70, and the psalm said 80. If you're really blessed, you have 70 or 80 years compared to eternity. So for eternity now, Lazarus is with the Lord forever and ever and enjoying heaven. And we're not talking about heaven tonight, but that'd be another great night. And for eternity, the rich man can't say, send that servant to my brethren, or send that servant to get me some water. Guess what? Lazarus is not a servant. He's not the beggar anymore. He's not a bum. He's God's child. And so he says, you know, you had the good things. Look at Luke chapter 6 for just a moment. Luke chapter 6. And verses 24 and 20, in verse 24, Luke 6, 24, to reiterate um, a couple things we've mentioned. Luke 6, 24, it says, And when the messengers of Jesus were departed, he began to speak to the people concerning John and went out into the village to see... I'm in Luke 7. Okay, all right, Luke 6, 24. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. You've received, you know, you've already had what you're going to have. Woe unto you that are rich. Then look at verse 20. And he, he lifted up his eyes and he said, Blessed be ye poor, and yours is the kingdom of God. It's so obvious that we would rather have eternity with God and be rich than be rich for 70 years down here. I don't know how many times I have to say to a Christian who's down and out, life is eternal. This is a small season in your life, and I know it's hard, 
But keep your eyes on Jesus. He's waiting at the finish line. And it says in Hebrews, we run the race. That word race is our word agon, agony. Life can be agonizing. I better be careful, I'm going to preach. It's agonizing. That's how life is sometimes, isn't it? Today you may be having a good day, but next week it may be bad. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because forever and ever and ever you'll have the riches of eternity, the riches of his grace and the riches of his mercy. Back to our text. And Abraham also said, besides this, there's a great gulf between you and I, and he can't come to you. In other words, there's no way to get from heaven to hell. So Lazarus couldn't go back, and there's no way for him to get to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. He's the, he's the, the cross. He's the Jacob's ladder that connected heaven and earth. He's the door of the Passover that made it possible, that, that made it a way for Israel to go through the blood. It's a type. You couldn't come out of that house without getting in the blood because blood was everywhere from that lamb that was slaughtered. It wasn't just a few drops. Blood was everywhere. It's a type of Jesus Christ who shed his blood. And so Jesus made a way, and the only way is through Jesus. And Jesus has already done his work, and this man already had an opportunity. It's too late for him. And, you know, to think that sending Lazarus back or reaching out to his family would make a difference, it wouldn't. Let's close with Numbers 14.11. Numbers 14.11. I like what Moses said here. By the way, in Numbers 14.11, but let me just remind you, you know what Abraham said? I should have shared this before I turned, but he said, they won't be persuaded. If they weren't persuaded with all the other opportunities they have, they're not going to be persuaded with Lazarus. Almost persuaded. It's a song we sing. How many people in Scripture were almost persuaded? But they wouldn't repent. And that's the key. Why is it harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through a little tiny sewing needle eye? And that's the word sewing needle. It's not some arch in the city. With God, all things are possible. But to our human mind, that's not possible because rich people oftentimes are so arrogant, they don't need God. They got the best doctors. They don't worry about paying bills. They can eat out in a nice restaurant every night. They never are needy. And so their arrogance leads them to think they can depend on themselves and their medical people and their pills, and then all of a sudden they get to a place of death and they're scared. I mean, how many stories do we know and read about people who got to where they faced death and cried out to God? Don't wait. It's too late. But Moses said in 1411, <clears throat> And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me for the signs which I have showed among them? God says, What's wrong with these people? All the signs, and they're not believing me. That's right. Jesus didn't perform many miracles. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, the whole city was in uproar. I mean, that just spread. Lazarus was well known, and that spread, and thousands of people followed Jesus 
But the Bible says not because he was their savior, but because of the miracles he did. And people will follow a miracle worker, but that doesn't mean they'll repent. And we know that during the tribulation period, the Antichrist, we're going to talk about that Sunday, is going to come back. And he's going to work miracles. And he's going to have a following. And people are going to line up to take that, that microchip in the hand or forehead to buy groceries. Because it's the only way we get food when the world's food supplies run out. Not too, too far from now, the money supply is going to run out. We know our dollars get more and more worthless. When my father-in-law was in Okinawa, they'd buy 365 yen for a dollar, and now you can get about 70 yen for a dollar. The, dollar, the American dollar is going down in value because of inflation and all the dumb things we do. And we know that the money's going to run out and the food's going to be limited because money, the food's going to be shared with all equally. That's what communism does. No matter how hard you work, you're just going to get your little share. And the lazy bum's going to get the same share. That's, that's the teaching of, of, of communism. And the problem is <clears throat> you're going to have to have an identification to get any food. I say you, we're not here. We're raptured. But those that are left behind. And... The miracle worker's finally going to convince them that he's the Lord and they'll follow him. And those that are saved, you know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to endure to the end, run and hide in caves because they can't take the mark. And if they're caught, they're decapitated. All that's in the Bible. But here is a great story. There are 54 different Bible passages in the New Testament alone on hell, be a good study for you. I have a challenge to you to do a study. And, and, and so many, so many passages on hell. And it's worth studying. But if you're ready to meet the Lord, you don't need to fear hell. Amen? Because hell can affect you.